Welcome to Cloud Insiders, the podcast that brings cloud down to earth. So good morning. Today I'm joined by Pete Grant and Niall Merrigan, a management consultant who works for Capgemini. Good morning, both. Good morning. Good morning, Rich. So today we're going to talk about the Internet of Things, its obvious importance and impact on the industry and society as a whole, but with specific um, focus on security. Before we get into the detailed conversation, Niall, do you want to give us an introduction and uh, background to yourself? Sure. My name is Niall Merrigan. I'm a managing consultant with Capgemini based in Stavanger in Norway. I work predominantly as a solution architect, but I do a lot of our security work as well. I speak around the world on security topics and generally cause mayhem wherever I go. Uh, I like to try and educate people about their web applications and the way they should be starting to think about their security processes versus the usual, oh, look, it's all broken. Let's let's try and fix it. So I try and get in early, get people up to speed and show them what, what can be done as comparison to what they think can be done for, on CSI. Understood. Fantastic. Um, so, so I guess a good starting point then is what's your view of the concept of cybersecurity? What does cybersecurity truly refer to? It's a very uh, broad thing. The first thing that kind of, if you ask anyone what cybersecurity is, they're just they'll start frowning because they hear the word cyber, and uh, you know, cyber all things. But what I, th- I think it's always uh, good to kind of make a definition that there's information security, which is about protecting your information assets, like uh, the typical access and uh, authentication uh, concepts. And you also have cybersecurity, which I think is a very broad term to say information or covers infosec and also um, inform- uh, in sorry infrastructure security and the typical kind of things you think like firewalls, antivirus. It's a it's like Warfare versus specialized warfare. Many people, when they're talking about cybersec, they kind of think the the oh, CSI or uh, you know people are hackers, but it's a very broad term. So I kind of I like to think of it more on the it's a nice general term that the layman can understand, and then you start getting into the specialized ideas of things. It's very handy for us to use information security, uh, network security, and kind of access security as, as the kind of sub-levels of that. Okay, fantastic. And again, this is going to be a broad subject, but um, yeah. the Internet of Things, could you give us a, a kind of top-down view of what you see that as? Oh, it's yeah, IoT. The IoT space is really interesting because it's uh, it can be anything from someone connecting a device to the internet that wouldn't traditionally have not been connected to the internet, such as uh, your your fridge, your coffee maker, to kind of the wearables uh, concept where we've just extended what you are working with on a day-to-day basis and just made it um, share data better, such as like the Fitbit or the Microsoft Band or the Apple Watch. These devices, which are really good uh, for kind of they gather an amazing amount of data, but then they can send it somewhere else so it can be processed. IoT on its own is is a, is quite broad, but it also encompasses things like uh, big data, where you you have um, the data being consumed from the different devices and being mashed together and getting new deeper insights into uh, the technology and what it means to people. So I, I like to see when I see. Um, the kind of IoT space, I always look at what, what are they doing with the data behind it? Where are they kind of sending and what, what benefits are they bringing back by connecting that specific device to the internet and sending it back and forth? So if we think of like the internet connected fridge, 
it sends, okay, I can see that you are buying a lot of cheese. Maybe you should look at this particular vendor because they're selling cheese at a, a lower price. Or uh, here's a couple of recipes that involve cheese and maybe you shouldn't stop, stop eating so much cheese because you're getting very fat, <laughs> for example. It's, it's like, the, I think Fitbit were kind of one of the first companies really to get into it because when they had their pedometer, they then linked it up to the area and the kind of the, the idea of being able to track your weight and watch your uh, fitness improve overall made that whole uh, gamification or the whole kind of idea that, oh, I've got from the couch, I've lost, say, two or three kilos by walking uh, two or three kilometers this week. Um, maybe next week, if I walk five kilometers, I might lose an extra kilo. And this idea then became uh, very good for people to see their progression. So I, I think with IoT in, in, in the general space, it's, it's all about the idea of, well, I'm connecting information together and connecting people's information together and giving you a better insight into what's happening. Okay, fantastic. In, in terms of security for, um, for IoT, so the, the way we've traditionally looked at security in, um, in, in the IT space is that if you've compromised the physical security of a device, then you can kind of assume that you've compromised the, um, the, the logical security, if, if you like. With, um, mm -hmm. with IoT devices, because by their very nature, you know, you've got your fridges, you've got your, your watches, or the various devices which are not, um, not physically secured, do you mm -hmm. think that, that poses an additional risk and, and how do we need to look at, um, look at the way we approach security from um, compared to our traditional way of where you need to secure your, your IT device in order to secure the logical elements? IT is a bit different. Um, how do you think it's um, been, been approached? It's a very interesting question because one one thing that happens is a lot of IoT uh, makers and IoT device makers, what they're doing is they're saying, okay, I've got this idea, I want to promote it, and I'm going to push it to market as quickly as possible because if I don't, um, someone else will get there before me and they'll become the brand leader in that space. If we think of, for example, pedometers, uh, the idea that of tracking how many steps you take, Fitbit were the first in that space. And everyone, if they look at a, a wearable, they will think it's a Fitbit unless it's obvious and it to be an Apple Watch or whatever. Now, the thing is that people will say, okay, I need to get this data off this device as quick as possible. Uh, how can I do that? It works in my lab. It works in my prototypes. And update the secure process afterwards in a firmware updates, for example, as, and they make the assumption that everyone will update the firmware at the same point. Um, and this is where I think that the manufacturers are getting it wrong. They're trying to bolt on security after the fact rather than trying to implement it at the initial design phase. If we even said to uh, device manufacturers, okay, guys, if you're sending data over the wire, you have to use HTTPS by default. Apple are doing this now with their ATS uh, standard and saying that you must have uh, TLS 1.2 uh, going forward for any type of communication from applications. Let's start to say that, okay, with uh, wearables or any other type of uh, IoT device, or you must be communicating in HTTPS. Because they're thinking uh, once, once it's on a home network and somewhere else, that's, you know, no one will be able to listen or sniff it. Um, Nissan had a big problem with the Leaf, for example. They uh, were sending over just VIN numbers uh, out of their, uh, their uh, application, and then you could just guess the VIN number to get the next, uh, to uh, adjust the, um, the temperature in, the, in a random uh, uh, Nissan Leaf around the world. Uh, other applications are seeing this, 
where they're, they've got apps integrated or they've got uh, other information and they're not securing the transport. And I think that's where device manufacturers are, are missing it. Yes, it's a very common problem to say we have physical access to the device, it should, it, it should be compromised, but don't make it any easier. Start using the basic security premises that we're, we're already working with web applications to make this work. So I, the, the idea that you, you can't uh, harden or you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't be doing this by default is kind of weak um, because I think there's a, this idea of this security through obscurity concept. You know, no one would ever sniff the traffic of this and so therefore I'll, I'll be safe. Yeah, and I, th I think with um, all the technology and information out there nowadays, you don't need to be a, a complete IT wizard to know how to, um, you know, tap into these these types of devices. And as you say, it seems to be um, it's commercially led, right? You know, you want to get get your product to market, and then you'll mm -hmm. as long as you can dominate the market, and you'll you'll deal with all the issues the issues later. But it's, it does seem like there's there's obviously a, a big risk that goes along with the the IoT in terms of the the massive attack surface of all the different devices and how do you secure them? I mean, you talked about encrypting the traffic. What are your thoughts in terms of security updates? So you've, you know, you might have a, a product, a Fitbit or, or something else, which is in quotes secure, it's all encrypted, but then there's a, mm -hmm. um, an exploit which someone discovers and you need to patch it like any other device. Mm -hmm. do, do you think IoT devices are going to be patched? You know, are we going to be patching our fridge or, uh, are we realistically just going to buy what we get and as long as it works, we're not going to be thinking or worried about um, updating the hardware or the firmware? There's, there's two real kind of things with this. Like you have the very affordable IoT devices which are nearly disposable in how they work so that if as soon as something breaks, you just buy a new one because, you know, it, there's no point in upgrading it. It'll just continue. But if we look at televisions, which are now becoming smart by default. You know, everyone buys a new flat screen TV, like for example, either from Samsung, Philips or Panasonic, and it comes with a built-in computer in the back. So I went, I was at home just recently and uh, my dad, I turned on my, the, my dad's TV and it said, uh, you need, there's a system update, you need to install it. I was like, oh, wow, okay. So before I can watch TV, I need to update my TV. And it, it annoyed me and I'm wondering, and I saw a cancel button and my brain, even though I'm a security person went, I want to watch TV. I will yeah. press cancel. So I think that a lot of people are going to be like ignoring it. Even if you look at um, today, um, which is recent, uh, as it, just as of yesterday, I updated to iOS 10 uh, on my phone. And I saw the reason, the only reason I knew that iOS 10 was available was I saw uh, in the app store, uh, all my apps had updates for iOS 10. I saw 27 different application updates and I was thinking, okay, there must be something in the pipeline. But to an average user, they would probably go, oh, there's a lot of updates. I think I'll leave them. They won't, unless it forces me to update it, I won't bother. What's the risk? So people don't understand the risk and, and or are ignorant to it or just don't care. And I think that's a yeah. lot of the problem is that even though you as a manufacturer are doing your best to push out these updates, you are still at the will of people to apply them. Microsoft have tried this with um, uh, Windows 10 and saying that if you're a home user or you're using Windows 10, not the Pro Edition, your updates are automatically applied and you don't get a choice. Because they saw with like Windows XP and Windows 7, Windows 8, et cetera, that devices and applications weren't being updated. So even if you think of, okay, just the updates going into your fridge or if they can be done quietly without losing functionality or it doesn't turn off or it doesn't disable 
uh, your your use of the app, uh, of the device, then people will be okay with it. But as, as soon as it, it says, okay, you're gonna, it's gonna take you two minutes to do an update. People are thinking two minutes is too long. Yeah. So I, I think I, yeah. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say, and you know, if, if my um, if my dad came home, um, he's not gonna care about whether his fridge needs an update. He just wants to come in and live his, his normal life. I think there's there's always hmm. going to be this fundamental issue, which I'm not sure you can overcome when you rely on users to, to manually activate or manually do the updates. And I, I guess there's t two ways around that. One is, as you say, with Windows 10, you can you can just push them out in the background and maybe maybe the industry gets to the point where it's just expected that as long as your device, if you're the manufacturer, as long as your device is connected to the internet, you've got a responsibility to make sure that device is updated. Or... Um, Perhaps you need to um, you need to vendors need to be encouraged that when they do have security updates, they try and roll them in with some feature upgrade. So if I go to the app store on my iPhone and I see you know update for an app, I'm almost if it's an app I use a lot, I'm almost a little disappointed when it just says bug fixes. You know, I want I want there to be some new functionality. So maybe you need to kind of um, have that benefit to to encourage users to to do the update or or just have devices which, uh, you know, like those, um, I can't remember the names, those Amazon um, things you stick on the wall and you push a button and it, you know, will order the dash. Yeah, the dash. Maybe they're just um, yeah. fairly dumb dumb type of devices. Um, there's, there's probably no no right answer, but I think relying on users, it's, it's never, you know, it, it might catch the majority of users, but... If you're a if you're a hacker or someone trying to breach the system, you know you're going to go for the, the weakest link, aren't you? So I guess it's just one of those um, ongoing challenges with um, with IT. Well, let's let's look at the kind of one of the most uh, connected devices out there that's that's very popular, and especially in Norway, is the Tesla. The Tesla receives over-the-air updates on a regular basis. So when it's near enough to your house, it'll connect and it'll update when the car is not moving or it'll partially download the update or continue to so that you know by the time when you stop next it can reboot the car or re-update the firmware uh, devices need to look at this and it, it should be a case of that it should be kind of passive and start and analyzing their usage of uh, how the users are using their systems and say okay we know that Niall will be asleep from 10 in the evening till 6 in the morning so let's update his iPhone at 11.30 at night because you know he won't be using it. Uh, we know if uh, we'll update the kind of the light bulbs at 2.30 in the morning because no, they won't be turned on and this type of idea. And if if devices were more intelligent uh, or, if you, or if companies were looking at this and saying, okay, based on usage patterns of you rather than the whole populace, uh, we will update your system at this point. Does this work for you? And kind of so that I'm not interrupted. And then it kind of becomes a more genuine uh, user experience. And I think this is where I, one of the things I'm trying to promote internally with even a lot of the organizations I work with is bring in your usability guys and girls and say, let's try and make it work for the user rather than just the system. Just the system. Let's make sure that they understand how, uh, why this is important and how we can do the least amount of resistance to getting this update out there. Yeah. Okay, I've read quite a lot of information around uh, what's going on in, down in Bristol being a, with a connected city and there's, a, there's quite a focus on the, the healthcare industry uh, and connecting care homes, for example, or uh, assisted living homes to 
better improve the safety of people who might be staying in those environments. Now, have you come across this in the industry at all as yet? Uh, healthcare is such a, a a difficult subject because you start getting into a different sort of problem with privacy and, mm. and data protection that many companies are really like uh, scared of going into. The, the idea is like, um, I think was it Fitbit, Garmin, and a couple of the other ones have all kind of got their health systems and Microsoft even have their health vault which they've tried to, it's, it, that's what they're, they're selling. But I know, I know with, with care systems, I haven't seen much around it. I, I'm guessing that it's going to be quite big potentially, mm. but I, I haven't seen much myself. Okay. Moving slightly away from the Internet of Things specifically, are you seeing any spe- specific verticals and industries that are implementing cybersecurity products and the challenges that they have not just with a view to the internet of things, but with a view to, we know that the industry and the world is changing. We don't really know what it's going to look like in two, five, ten years' time. Are you seeing any of those particular challenges that they're having? I'm definitely seeing a a definite trend towards um, increased focus on security, especially in kind of more kind of tough economic times, Mm. because people are are beginning to understand that um, uh, data loss is now a problem. In Europe, you have now got the GDPR, data protection regulations, which are a set of uh, regulations that have been invoked by the EU to say that if you're breached, you will suffer up to a maximum fine of, I think, 20 million or 4%, 2% of your uh, annual gross profit uh, as a fine, whichever is larger. So these are the incentives that people are seeing here. They're also seeing that the commercial loss of face uh, when you've been breached, the major one, Ashley Madison. Uh, one thing that always struck me from the Ashley Madison case was even though they were uh, hacked and it was an easy SQLI eventually, in the, as they found out, that their main concern was PCI, DSS, the credit cards. They weren't worried about the other data. They were only worried about the fact that it was their, their credit card information wasn't lost because that's where they would meet, meet financial penalties. However, we all saw that really people didn't care about the credit cards. They were more worried about the fact that their sexual preferences or the fact that they were looking for it to have an affair was being broadcast on the internet. Companies are also looking at this and saying, okay, if our information gets out, and now they're, before you used to say, well, if our information gets out, they're now saying when our information gets out, can it be decrypted? Can it be broken into? So I think we're starting to see an evolutionary trend. People are more concerned about saying, okay, our databases are online 24-7. People are, spend, are becoming more technically savvy and becoming, are looking for more uh, ways into our systems. And we, are, we need, as an organization, to consolidate our security efforts. Traditionally, it's been the role of IT to manage all this. Now there's kind of a top-down thing from, say, CEOs, CIOs, uh, CISOs saying, okay, you as a whole organization need to think security as a process. Even if we think of um, before, say 10, 15 years ago, no one had a, an access card hanging around their neck or attached to their belt. Now, no matter where you go in any city around the world, you'll see people with these little uh, access codes or cards hanging around their neck to get into buildings. Access control has become a standard. It's now we'll start seeing that as well with cybersecurity and with the general security practices within the organization as norms. In, in terms of security in, in, in general, and I, I hate the word, the word cyber, but um, you know, information security, et cetera. As we're, uh, over the last few years, where everything's online, everything's connected, be it you know, a, a traditional IT devices or our 
IoT devices. Um, on one hand, the, the industry's approach to security, um, you probably argue, is, is, is maturing along the way, and you know we're figuring out a lot of things to do and not do. But on the other hand, there's more and more attack surfaces. There's more and more ways you can, um, you know, breach somebody's personal data, etc. Mm -hmm. Do you think we're more secure or less secure than maybe we were five, ten years ago? Oh, that's such a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> um, in opinion's sake, I think we're still at the same point we were. We've we've increased our general security measures. However, we've increased our attack surface. If we were to look at it on a kind of very subjective, biased way, given the number of breaches we're seeing on a regular basis, I'd say you'd, you'd kind of postulate that security is going down. However, um, it's what's been more apparent is people are uh, publicizing when they've uh, been breached, whereas before they would just uh, hush it under the carpet. Um, you've got the likes of Troy Hunt. Uh, with this Have I Been Pwned service, which is making it more visible that someone has been breached and you can go search for your data. And I think that the, the gen, in the general scheme of things, I think we're still at 50-50. We have better IT security. We have better, we're patching quicker. Companies are being more responsive to problems. But at the same point, due to the greater data access and the internet and more availability of information, the hackers are getting the information quicker and also getting that information out to more people quicker. Before, you'd always say, oh, if I want to find a, a vulnerability or an attack, I'd have to go onto the, the go into tour, I'd have to use the kind of deep web and know my way around some onion addresses and things like that. Now it's just go to exploitdb.com, find mm -hmm. out the latest exploit and just and get it. Or you get it off Metasploit and you just get yeah. it's weaponized already for you today. And or you go to GitHub and there's a, a nice proof of concept in Python ready, ready to go. And people are just like, yeah, just go nuts, go take care of it. Yeah, it's always a, a game of cat and mouse. I mean, a few years ago, phishing scams and things like that were fairly common. I mean, mm -hmm. I've, I've got a family member um, who got hit by a, um, a phishing scam and got, got suckered in and lost some money, um, you know, probably five, five six, seven years ago. And I, I know that um, if that happened today, probably wouldn't have fallen for it because people are more um, are more aware that you know somebody phones up and asks you for personal details, we're just a bit more switched on. But then there's the hackers that want to step ahead of us. You know, as you say, you can go to Metasploit and things are all prepackaged and um, you've got all these. You know, if you don't patch your machine, then these, you don't have to be a whiz in order to um, hack into it. And then the general populace seems like always always trying to catch up. In terms of, and this is a very broad question, I know, but um, where do you see the greatest threat being to, um, or, you know, use the term hacking or, you know, someone trying to get access to your personal data, whether it's on a, a website um, like Ashley Madison or just um, hacking into your machine? Do, do you see the, the threats as being the, the script kiddies or the, the big state actors or the... The, the, the anonymous groups, where do you see the, the big growing threat being or is it, or is it across the board? It's, it's a, the, big, the biggest attack uh, vector is towards the human. Uh, just, just to follow up on where you said you had a family member, I had one. Uh, my uncle decided, got caught by that Microsoft uh, scam where they ring you up and they say we're from Microsoft and had a problem. And I kind of talked to him afterwards and I said, well, 
why? And he goes, well, you know, they sounded so plausible and they had everything right and I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm thinking, you do realize I, you know, as your nephew and as a person who does IT, IT you could have just kind of said, no, I've got him, it, it, he'll take care of it. And he said, well, I didn't want to bother you. The human, I think, is still the most prevalent attack surface for any place because if we talk about phishing, you can send out uh, 100,000 emails. It's not going to cost you anything, zero cost. And if you get maybe even 0.01%, you get 1,000 people uh, out of this, or even even 100 people, and you charge them $100, you've made uh, $10,000 by doing nothing, by just sending a couple of emails and automating it. You can buy full-on uh, command and control infrastructure or phishing campaigns that made to measure where the, the, the cost is zero to you. They just take 10% of the take. Uh, you've got malware um, and automated malware is becoming huge right now. And getting this all this into systems is the kind of the quickest way to get information from you. I do a lot of work on social engineering and I have found I can walk up to people having been introduced as a hacker and they will hand me their telephone. And that little supercomputer in your pocket will give me more information about you and your habits than anything else uh, that I could try and uh, like try and punch through a firewall or try and do anything else. Because we've always used IT security as the kind of the defense, so firewalls, act, uh, antivirus, and all this other things, but they're always, they're, the dogs are facing outwards. They're looking out to all this stuff that can potentially come in. And as soon as you're inside that little firewall um, area in the DMZ and even inside the, the natural network or the local network, people trust you. So I've seen, like, for example, when you have red teams, which is a term whereby uh, companies or uh, people are involved uh, to go and act like hackers towards your organization, uh, will do things like this, come in in, in a UPS or a postal service uniform and walk into the organization and ask them for information and then deliver USB keys or they'll, they'll ask people to do stuff. And it's very easy to get information from uh, due to the amount you, you leak on the internet, be it from Facebook, LinkedIn, Foursquare, whatever. This, this information gives you a, a, an amazing amount of uh, insight into the, into the user that you can use to build trust. The human is so trusting that you can manipulate them very easily. We judge things based on our experiences, right? So if we're, mm. if, if we're in a normal scenario and then somebody else comes up and does the normal scenario that we're used to, yeah. we actually trust them. And, um, you know, we, we use the term IT security and cybersecurity, but I think mm. it's, it's hard to, to, different, you know, to, to box certain things as being, well, that's just IT security and this is something else. Really, it's all about personal yeah. security and it's all... You got all these various domains, haven't you? And it's all it's all merged now. Um, yeah, and that and I think that's one of the problems. I think that people are still kind of making this differentiation of their presence on the internet not affecting how they can be attacked in a kind of company or even a personal uh, scenario. So I, I had this discussion with someone before. I said, okay, imagine you're on a bus. I said, yeah. Now imagine everybody on the bus is talking. They said, cool. I said, that's the internet. They said, all right. Now imagine that you're talking about something very personal, something like you're shouting out your PIN code to your, uh, your, your credit card. You're shouting out your credit card number and your details and your PIN code and to the boss. Do you think everyone would, wouldn't listen to that? 
And they go, well, of course they would. It, it's really good to get. And I said, well, that's what's happening. You're talking about your information and you're shouting it out to people who are potentially could be listening. You're assuming because you're in a computer at your desk in your home that there's not stuff happening. Now, in general terms, you're not going to be targeted by state actors because we are inconsequential in the general scheme of things. But it's opportunistic crime or even just like, for example, some passive um, uh, goings on that means that you will get caught. One of the new um, threat vectors that's come out is this thing called photo miner, where people have like uh, they've got Asus or, or uh, Linksys or any of the other different types of home routers. And what they have is they've enabled the USB support or the FTP support by accident, either something malicious has happened or some someone has turned it on and because UPnP universal plug and play has enabled routing out to the internet people can find these uh, uh, FTP servers very quickly so what they're doing is they're automating uh, uh, there's a uh, a process which is automatically uploading this thing called photo.scr which is a bitcoin miner and what it does then is it infects your machine and gets it to run at 100% and starts mining bitcoins so as we know, Bitcoin is quite popular right now and, and in and all its variants, but having everyone else mine Bitcoin for you makes you money without having to do any work. And we're seeing this more and more uh, in kind of uh, applications allow, because if we go back to the IoT thing, applications are being allowed out through your firewalls or allowed out through your routing systems and uh, etc and they're becoming in, they're also increasing your attack surface before you would have one computer in the house i'm guessing that if your listeners are listening to this they would have more than one device connecting to the internet at a given time if we even think of like i i think at home i think i have six different computing devices excluding phones connected at any given time and that increases your attack surface there like it's interesting that the, the Bitcoin um, use case. Um, mm -hmm. I, you might have the, the knowledge and, and, and maybe the capabilities to um, to hack into somebody and steal their personal information, but you might you might think from a moral side of it that well, you know, I'm not. That's not the kind of person I am. But perhaps mm -hmm. you, if, if all you were doing, you know, in, all in quotes, if all you were doing was getting getting them to run some Bitcoin mining, you know, mm -hmm. using a bit of their processing power. You know, there might be people out there that think, well, actually, that's, that's not really doing any damage. That's, you know, do, using a bit of processing time. And um, uh -huh. I guess there's another, another element to, I'm, I'm not really a hacker. I'm not doing any damage. But um, there's other ways that you can be compromised um, by people that might not otherwise would, would, would want to do that. It's it's the typical faceless crime. We and and I and um, I know you're based in the UK, but you know there was a typical always at the commercial, and the advertising said you wouldn't steal a car, you wouldn't steal a, a book, but you'd steal a movie by downloading it. You know, for example, the 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 typical faceless um, idea that we just we haven't stolen anything from you other than electricity, which you're mm, going to pay yeah. for anyway. You know. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just it was it was an interesting bus analogy you gave before. Um, Mm -hmm. And it just reminded me of the, the many many times I've been either sitting on a plane or on the on the tube or underground, mm -hmm. and you know pe people are reading, you know, particularly in London, um, reading documents where, you know, if you glance over, you think, you know, this is <laughs> something that um, other people shouldn't be looking at. And I think we've oh. got that mentality of security through um, just being lost in the in the numbers. You know, it does, doesn't really matter if the person next to me is going to read it because. But the chances are they're probably not going to not going to do anything with it, and it's kind of a we don't.
really have that mindset of being being safe like we're taught when we're a kid. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we're taught to look both ways before we cross the road, don't talk to strangers, and we don't we don't really have that drilled into us into, from an IT perspective. And maybe as the years go on and we become more more savvy that um, we'll grow up with more of a mindset of um, protecting our, our data and not just assuming that just because I'm one out of the 100 million, um, nothing's going to happen to me because, you know, the the attack surface are there, the capabilities are there. I think most of us are probably safe because we just are lucky enough not to be the ones which are targeted because I, I think most of the population aren't um, that IT security savvy. You know, they don't, if they go to a website, they're probably not checking for, you know, is it a secure site, all those sorts of things. And I think most of us are probably protected just because of the statistics of um, we're just not the ones being hit. Well, it's also the idea that, you know, um, to take on your, you know, the tube or the airplane, the number of people I see on like the early morning tra- uh, flights from, say, Stavanger to Oslo, and they're working on presentations or they're working on documents. And if you wanted to look at it, you know, if you're sitting on row 17 and row 16 on the opposite end, you can look straight into someone's monitor and you could be there with your phone. You could just record it for or take a picture, zoom in, and no one would even notice you know, so so privacy screens are very much on uh, this on the rise now as well. People also think that you'll respect their privacy. That's the other thing that you know. There's this automatically uh, uh, intrinsic kind of, oh, I'm I would respect someone's privacy, so therefore they same to me. However, that's not what happens. You know, people will snoop if they if they want to. The other, um, as you say, people aren't concerned. Uh, there's a minuscule chance, but the thing is that it's volume of data that could get breached or whatever. Uh, they're not concerned because they don't see a, a monetary loss or a cost. Um, the number of times I, I've talked to customers and they said, well, we've lost money because, you know, uh, someone double clicked something just by accident. And I'm thinking, you know, if you said to your, if you said to everyone in the company, okay, every time we get one of these attacks, we'll charge you and will deduct it from your salary. I can guarantee you they'd buck up their security much quicker. But like you say, children are taught to be not take candy from strangers, um, don't get into uh, vehicles you don't understand or don't talk to people you don't know type of thing. Um, but on the internet, they'll tell anyone, you know, that's the other problem because they don't see that issue. I think we'll start getting, we'll start talking about this a bit more as we are more a digital nation and digital uh, era. You know, I, I don't post pictures of my kids online. Um, not out of anything other than it's not my pictures to post. In other words, he doesn't have a say. He could say yes or no. But I want him to not have that history because the internet never forgets. Yeah. And it's something that I see a lot of people, you know, they post pictures about their kids and they, uh, it's fine. Uh, it's up to you. But I, personally, I wouldn't. It's, it's just the way I am. Yeah, it, it, it always amazes me even today how people post um post things on Twitter or Facebook, things that you just wouldn't be saying to your boss or people um, you work with, et cetera, <laughs> but they, but they mm-hmm. post them as if they think that they're not going to see them. And it just, it just it baffles me that people still um, still do that and then act surprised when, when they get caught or something bad happens. I think that's what really leads to the, um, the kind of IoT space. People are still assuming just because it's new, it can't, people won't look into it closely. You know, we're all chasing the new shiny, but also the anonymity of it, the whole thing where they can say, well, you know, that's one person, they won't ever see it, or that's, you know, it's an obscure looking thing, or, you know, no one would ever look there, or, um, or why would anyone ever try and attack me, et cetera. Like, 
a brand of light bulb um, was broadcasting SSIDs and the password to connect to it um, as part of its process to, you know, because it wanted to make it easy for users to uh, connect their light bulb, their, their smart light bulbs to the, to the network. And when yeah. you think about it, it, like how difficult is it to do run a sniffer around um, around your uh, locale and just say, okay, this is what's happening. I'm I'm a bit concerned of the new kind of smart meters and the way they're going now with kind of the new smart homes, where everything will be controlled uh, from central uh, uh, processes. Like before, you actually had to have a physical key. Now you could have a phone. It'll tell you where you live. Um, and you could then walk up with the phone. It'll you'd pre because of the proximity or kind of beacon. It'll open the door because it'll welcome you home. So I know that people. The one of the common things when you have a GPS in your car is you shouldn't put home as the actual location of your home. It yeah. should be near home, but not close enough that someone could find it. Yeah. And that was and that was and 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 people were quite stunned of this. They said, why wouldn't you do that? And says, well, imagine someone stole your car. And they went, yeah. And I says, well, would they know where to find your house? I said, of course not. And I said, well, to just go into your GPS, they'd say home, and they'd drive home. And he goes, and because they have your car, they'd know you're out, and they'd have your keys, which is attached to your car keys, and they'd get into your house. And all of a sudden, people started connecting the dots. And I said, imagine that now with the kind of the smart home concept where I could probably tell where you're, you know, from your number, because I just ring something else. I'll say, okay, that person is registered here. I go on to uh, the golden pages. I find that that's where this person lives or where it's registered. Or if it's a company address, I can find out who that person is, their owners, and then find through Facebook and then find other places where they've checked in and get a general proximity of where they live. Use that to get into the house. I, th I think that's a really, really interesting point, Niall, and, and, and it comes yeah. back to, to something that you mentioned um, towards the middle of this conversation around mm -hmm. um, putting all of the security protocols in places that organisations or app builders, um, mm -hmm. device builders may well do. It seems, especially from the feedback that you're giving, that, that what is more important or most important is, is education and, and, and cultural shift. Um, and I think mm. for me, one of the most interesting and fundamental um, uh, examples of how this cultural shift has gone and how it needs to come back is 20 years ago um, when everybody had uh, just a house phone and a you know taped voicemail, nobody would leave mm -hmm. their voicemail message of, thanks very much for calling. I'm currently on holiday in Barbados for two weeks and I'll be back on Saturday yeah. the 23rd. Please <laughs> leave a message. Yet yeah. today everybody will gladly post on Facebook and or Twitter that they're sat in the airport about to leave the country and leave their house open and empty. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really interesting where this, the, you know, the internet, uh, the internet of things and security is driving is it doesn't matter how much an organization puts in place, it's the fallibility of the user and the individual. Um, you can put all of the, all of the, the security that you want in place, but um, if somebody opens up a spreadsheet of um, bank account details and and writes them on a bit of paper and walks out of the office, how much you know? Mm -hmm. How much can the organisation do do to stop that? So, I, th I think that's that's really well, interesting. Well, there's there's the famous Twitter account called Need a Debit Card or Need a Credit Card, I think it's called, uh, where people uh, it just harvests where people are saying, oh yeah, I got my new credit card, take a picture of it and post it on Twitter. And I'm thinking, oh God, do you really wow. understand what you've just done? And people are still still in that mentality that you know, oh, I've only got you know X number of followers, but we can automate all this stuff. We can scan. Um, there's a particular what was it a, a particular script called Creepy, 
as in it's uh, cre as in creep.py and it's a uh, open source intelligence or, or uh, for allowing you to scan multiple different social networks for a particular target so that you can gain an understanding of that person's movements and what they post and uh, so from their kind of Twitter accounts, you can guess when they when they would normally be sleeping, when they're normally in transit to work, uh, where they work, um, when they're kind of their most uh, actively posting. In other words, are they kind of, if we if we think of human um, habits, we'll say we probably post a lot more on Twitter and Facebook when we're in the toilets or when we're at lunch or when we're on a bus or when we're having some downtime so that you can work out the patterns of this person and then infer from that a way to attack them. So if you, if you know that like, um, uh, they have, they, they posted their kind of information on Runkeeper, you know, they say, okay, this person, if we look on Facebook, this person, uh, goes for a run every Tuesday and Thursday between six and eight. That gives you a ton of information as to either to bump into them if you're trying to stalk them or to make a kind of a, a go with some other personal details or other other house. But also if you can see, okay, they've, they've po they're posting from automated applications, et cetera, you can, you can get to understand and then either launch a phishing campaign or ring them up and say, hi, I'm from XYZ support. Um, can I get your username and password to do this for you? Because, you know, we're not allowed to log in on your, we have to log in on your behalf. And that, and then if you tell them that you've gained a bit of security or has gained a bit of trust from them because you know this information and only the type of uh, support staff would know this and you've gained access to kind of personal data. And that's the quickest way to get a username and password is just ask for it. I think um, I went to a, um, a cyber competition with the military um, earlier this year and they had a demonstration of a, um, a company that came in and just by using the, um, um, you know, connecting the phones remotely using the Wi-Fi, et cetera, they were able to pick out a few people and then just walk through, you know, um, say, okay, we there's obviously someone in this room who lives here and they stopped off at Starbucks in the morning and did this and just not even by having the physical device. And then their presentation concluded with um, uh, them showing us or uh, talking around some of the software they use that actually goes off to all these, you know, to the person's Facebook, to their LinkedIn, to all the various other um, pieces of publicly available data and starts to actually build that picture for you. So you don't even need to be doing that manually now. There's, there's, um, there's software packages that will just you point it to a person with the details that you have and then that will actually start to build up the, the picture for you. And it's... Um, you know, it's, um, it, was, uh, it, was, it was very interesting, but also a, a bit worrying when you realize how much information is, is um, put out from your phone without even having to hand it over to somebody. And this is the thing that brings it back more to the IoT uh, space, because IoT vendors are looking for social integration. They want to be able to publicize that they, this user is using their product so they can drive more sales. You know, post your Fitbit results, post your Garmin results to Facebook, to Twitter, or, you know, I'm using Runkeeper or whatever. And this integration process and gamification is driving sales for these vendors. And this also then presents us with a more in interesting attack landscape. It's not just the... Um, the IoT space, but we're also kind of can attack the user uh, through that usage, and that's I think that it's it's it, this is why you can see how why cybersecurity and general information security and all these types of security platforms are so varied and.
and it's very hard to understand or very hard to kind of limit yourself to just saying, well, we've just secured the transport layer. But what other information are we leaking through this? Uh, what other kind of uh, vectors are we providing to potential attackers? Because the one of the things I notice a lot of is that security is very much reactive. We react to when something happens rather than trying to prevent it. Um, Seatbelts are uh, um, an invention because we figured out we could drive too fast and if we stopped hard enough, people would go through the windshield. Uh, airbags are another invention from that because we said we want to stop that happening because people don't wear seatbelts enough and we also want to make sure that they're safer. And we start to see more and more of this kind of these innovations coming based on the usage and also based on how uh, the attack vector happens. So. Uh, if we think even of the most common, what I always like to demonstrate as the most visible um, aspect of security being reactive, it's in airport security, whereby you know um, it, people weren't allowed, were allowed, could walk onto a plane without any type of uh, check, and then they had to go through scanners, and now they can't take liquids over 100 mils. Soon we'll have to go through butt naked and uh, you know submit to God knows what type of screening to get on an aircraft. But that is how uh, the evolution based on different threat vectors where, some, where a normal, I will say normal sane person would go, why on earth would someone want to blow up a plane they're traveling in versus someone who goes, this is a really good way to incite terror at yeah. the cost of only one person of our people. You know, so this this is the and I think that's where the security paradigm is very difficult for people to understand without them saying, well, you're just paranoid. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's, it's an ongoing mm -hmm. um, reactive battle. And I'll, all I can say is with, without sounding so uh, doom and gloom, it is actually getting better. People are becoming more aware. There is um, like, as you said, 20 years ago, um, phishing attacks uh, would kind of attract a lot more people because, you know, oh, I got email. Uh, it must be something interesting versus now it's just spam and there's filters and there's other things playing into play and we think about all the different uh, type of devices we have now they're generally trying to be more and more secure because there is a concerted effort by companies by individuals uh, such as myself and a couple of other uh, and a lot of other people in the security community educating people to say this can happen and you know i think we're starting to see more more uh, evolution and people begin to understand that yeah this could this is something i need to understand and whereas before it would be oh it's a computer my son will take care of it or yeah. my daughter will take care of it yeah and it's um you know i mean security nothing's ever going to, going to be secure but i, I guess on the, the the bright side is that you can take some very sensible steps to protect you quite a lot you know don't don't have your facebook wide open be just use mm -hmm. a bit of common sense on what you post if, um, you know, some basic knowledge on browsing to websites and if you get asked for this type of information, you, you don't need to be a technology or a security whiz to actually provide a lot of protection for yourself. And I think a lot of it's just, just, just education and getting people into that mindset. And, and that's and this is where with the IoT vendors, I think they're becoming a, big, a bit more kind of savvy because they realize that if they are trying to make money and trying to continue in business, they need to make sure that they don't lose by having such a, a silly mistake where their uh, application is pwned or something is take, uh, taken offline or they're investigated by some FBI or because they've left data out in the wild. They need to take care of their customers. And they, I always say, like, you know, um, dance like no one is watching, but encrypt like everyone is. 
And I, I think it's a quote from another very good, uh, I think it was Nick Baradia did, did that one. But it's, 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 it's very much on, if you take, everyone takes a little bit of care and says, well, you know, let's be careful about what this thing is talking to, um, isolate off into different networks. Now that's a more advanced topic, but, you know, I even, I, I talked to my dad when he came over to, into Norway to visit, my mom, my dad came over, um, they said, can we have the network password? And I said, no, you can have the guest network. And he goes, don't you trust us? I, I, I do trust you, but I don't trust your devices. And they were like, oh, okay. So I put them on the guest network. So there was no, there was an isolation process there. Now, I've I've set up a lot of the home network stuff for my mom and my dad, and I make sure that they say, okay, any device you have is connected to this. Computers you trust are here, and this is what happens. And when I come home, I have to reshuffle everything around because they've forgotten. But it's it's more to do with the IoT spaces. Uh, as we start seeing more connected worlds, this will become a more normal thing for people to understand as it's just a, a way this works, and here's how you should do it to make it safer for you. You know, I, I don't know anyone who have who who buys a door without a lock yeah. for a, an outside door. If you said that to people, I said, like, you know, here, here's all your doors. And they go, well, why doesn't it have any locks on it? Well, well, you know, that was a feature we're going to add when we sell enough doors. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, uh, Niall, Pete, that's been absolutely fascinating, really interesting mm -hmm. and exciting times ahead for the, okay. us individual users and organizations. Certainly busy for those guys to bring everything in line. I think to wrap up, um, I think the social and cultural change is needed to go alongside all of the, all of the, the, the technical change as well. So, um, mm -hmm. Niall, really appreciate your time. Pete as well. Um, no Niall, wh where can we, not too much, but where can we um, find out more about um, you and, and, and what you do in the industry? Uh, you can get me on my blog at www.certsandprogs.com or you can actually kind of Google my, if you Google me, you'll find a lot of the videos I've done with the different conferences around the world and there's a lot of the things I do there. So that's probably kind of one of the easiest ways to do it. Brilliant, fantastic. Okay, great. And uh, thanks okay. very much for all your time. Yeah. Thank you very much, guys. That brings us to the end of another episode of Cloud Insiders. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. And to find out more and access show notes and downloads, head over to cloudinsiders.fm. You can track us on Twitter at Cloud Insiders, and we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes. See you next time.